Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Liquidator, the strictly 100% fan-powered West Bromwich Albion podcast. This time, Saints Alive, Albion Half Asleep and Bomber Brown celebrated on the occasion of his 75th birthday. Baggy's record goal scorer, all that and possibly more. With me and Chris Lepkowski, best-selling author of From Buzaglo to Ballis and sports journalism lecturer at Birmingham City University as well. And of course, a massive Baggies fan. Uh, I was going to say, Chris, good week for you. Probably not after that Albion performance at Southampton. <laughs> yeah, I like the uh, happy birthday to Bomber. Sham about the football, really. But no, it was... Uh, it was um... It was disappointing, wasn't it? You hugely, it was flat, I thought. I don't know what your views were, but I thought I can't see us actually getting anything here and very, very disappointing game, I thought, at, at Southampton. Well, we'll dissect the defeat, but before we do, just to say, however bad it feels, Albion fans, if you're not in the situation in your life where you're using a food bank, be very, very grateful because it could happen to any of us. And on this podcast, as you may know, if you're a regular listener, we support the Smethic Food Bank. They're after donations of food, money, and looking for volunteers as well, helping the community closest to the Hawthorne. So go to smethic.foodbank.org.uk. That's smethic.foodbank.org.uk. And please help if you can. So to that Albion performance. Well, what really disappointed me, Chris, was that I just felt there was a lack of fight and a lack of desire in that team. You fight so hard to get into the Premier League. And when you're there, you give such a limp, lifeless performance. And were it not for Sam Johnston, who pulled off, for my money, three, maybe four terrific saves in that game, Albion would have been absolutely marmalised. And I fear, based on the fact that we've already conceded 11 goals this season, that we will ship seven or eight in a game, particularly this season when there's been so many high-scoring games. We got away with it today, uh, and, and that was when we lost 2-0. It was really flat. There was just no energy about them. And the thing that really disappointed me today was, and, and we talked about it last week and the week before, which was so easy to play against. We, we often think, and I keep seeing discussions about, well, maybe Hagazi should play or maybe why isn't Ivanovic playing? And I think it goes beyond that. It isn't just a poor defence in terms of personnel. I just think the team are set up in such a way that they offer very little resistance to teams that come at them. And it just didn't work. We didn't look. I said last week against um, after the game against Chelsea that a game like that can take a lot out of you mentally and physically. And it looked like that. It, it looked like we just weren't with it at all. We looked lethargic, apathetic almost. And it just... It just felt like we were going through the motions at times. And I know we weren't because footballers are trained not to and they're installed not to. And, and I think Southampton are a good side anyway. But we, we gave them that invite to attack us. And as you rightly say, I thought Sam Johnston was clear man of the match. And, you know, he was the losing goalkeeper, which goes to say it all, really. And we're speaking just ahead of the closure of the international 
transfer deadline. Still a couple of weeks to go and the domestic transfer deadline. Lots of fans calling for players to be brought in, for money to be spent. We've explained on Mm. this podcast a couple of episodes ago why there is actually so little money available, barring some miraculous intervention from our owner. We really don't have that much money from this year's TV deal left to spend. But what you're talking about, I think, goes to the manager. I mean, clearly, there's a level at which he can only work with what he has. But at the same time, you have to ask the question, is he making the best of what he's got? One player who's coming for a lot of criticism on social media, and I think some of it has been justified this season and the back end of last season, has been Romain Sawyers. But Sawyers, for me, is a player who was perfectly suited to the lineup that we had in the championship, picking the ball up deep, laying passes off, knowing that teams had often dropped deep against us. It's a very different kind of game when you're scrapping for possession in the first place and you can't take it for granted that you've got it. He's got the skills to be a very good passer and a very good deep-lying player. He's not a scrapper. He's not a yard dog. I have to say in that position as well, Jake Livermore, disappointed me again today a silly booking simply because he'd been outpaced and he's been in an Albion team that's got relegated before not that long ago Livermore so I mean clearly that central midfield area needs addressing but if Billich has got this set of players and against Southampton he went back to his more familiar four at the back system and it looked no different really he's got to start thinking there's got to be a little bit of the Tony Poulis about him, hasn't there? There's, there's got to be, or a little bit of the Roy Hodgson about him, set up to make sure that teams are not walking through you. Because until you do that, you're going to get hammered every week. Yeah, we look at every time we um, play, there's it, it a feeling that we need two or three goals just to to get something from the game. And you can't go through a season like that. And I actually do like Slavin Bilic, but at the moment, the first seeds of doubt are creeping in because, you know, we've brought in Ivanovic, who presumably is on big money on the bench. Gallagher wasn't involved. We're told that he should be back after the international break. That's four matches now we're into the season and, you know, he wasn't there for all of all four of those games. But again, he hasn't played a league game for us. Krivanovic on the bench came on. We're told he wasn't fit enough. We seem to be in this zone where every player we bring in isn't ready to go into the team and we can't afford that because there'll come a point where we run out of games and we haven't got enough points to start with. And with Sawyers, I think some of the criticism is, criticism is justified. To me, he just doesn't look like he's able to step up into this particular standard of football. And I actually disagree with you in respect to the fact that I think he's better in a more advanced position and I would like to see him there and if Gallagher comes into the team and I'd like to think that Gallagher will come into the team alongside Livermore and Sawyers and maybe maybe just maybe that will give Sawyers that license to perhaps go forward a bit more because I think he's better doing that than he is basically babysitting the defence as he has been this season so far not very well it has to be said I think he's a better player going forward. I think he's better in advanced positions. And I would like to think that Gallagher's eventual introduction in the team will at least grant him that that licence to maybe 
maybe flourish a little bit further up the field because at the moment he's, he's not good enough. He's not doing it. And Livermore isn't on particularly good form at the moment. Daft booking again. We know that he's got that side to him where he can be, he, he can pick up reckless bookings and, and we've got to cut that out because we, we can't afford to lose players of his experience to, to suspensions at daft times of the year. No, well, that's in discipline, isn't yeah. it? Because the we got the booking against Southampton because the guy who beat him for pace all ends up, and instead of getting towards a more central position to at least be there to to cover any eventual cross or to pick up the scraps if there was another player to help him out, he just stuck out a boot and and brought the player down. Gibbs got sent off recently, didn't he, for silly indiscipline as well. And once that starts creeping into a team, and you can understand that players are frustrated, of course they want to do better, but that only adds to your problems because you've got suspensions then and key players missing. Gallagher potentially offers us a bit more energy in midfield, although in the Carabao Cup game that he played, the only time he's started a game for Albion, he, for me, although he had loads of energy, gave the ball away an awful lot. Now, he's a young player stepping up like many in this Albion team are from the Championship to the Premier League. But he give, if he gives the ball away as much in the Premier League as he did in that Carabao Cup game against Brentford, then we're going to get Mullard as well. I, I hope that was just him sort of feeling his way into the team. I don't know. That's the first time I've seen him play a game at all. But you just worry that so much hope is being placed onto the shoulders of ultimately a, a very young and relatively inexperienced player. Ivanovic at the other end is a very experienced player, but he's 36. He's, he's clearly coming to the end of his career and you just hope that he won't be exposed for pace. But clearly, given where we are, they've both got to be given their head and given the opportunity to show they can do better than the people who are in the team who clearly are not delivering it. Uh, and whether that's, I don't know, Bartley who drops out, whether that's Sawyers who drops out, so be it. I don't think anybody could complain about being dropped after this performance other than Johnson. I would also say there, Chris, and this is a point that you've made in previous epi- episodes, that defending is a whole team game. In modern football, you don't have players who don't defend And if you do, you don't win matches. And I was really disappointed with Dean Garner, with Pereira. Dean Garner seems to want to score the wonder goal every time. It may be that we're not joined up enough as a team with players offering their support to him, but so often he just took the ball, did a little shimmy, ran into trouble. Pereira, for me, was anonymous other than his free kicks, set pieces and so on. We need more from those players as well. It's it is a whole team malaise and it was a it was a shocking performance really for so early on in the season because Albion looked dispirited already. It is a problem and uh, you know that you mentioned earlier the the Tony Pulis and Roy Hodgson mantra of of we that the Slaven become more like that. The 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 one that this debate always has the the kind of the danger of going down. Well, you you cannot be hard to beat and also score goals. It it's one or the other. It's much more nuanced than that. We're not asking Albion to become like a Tony Pulis side or even like a Roy Hodgson side. I think what they need to do is to find the way of making themselves a lot harder to play against. Right now, we're almost holding over a blanket, saying after you to, to teams that come at us and. And that can't continue. That is going to end in one way. And, and that concerns me. And 
I thought Dean Garner did have a poor game today, as you rightly pointed out. Um, I felt that Townsend O'Shea looked like they'd gone one game too many in this run of particular fixtures that maybe they need taken out the firing line. But then we don't have the players necessarily to come into that team. So, you know, it sums up for me, Adrian, that in the last few days or the last couple of weeks, we've taken Gallagher on loan from Chelsea. Villa have signed Barkley from Chelsea. Villa just about scraped survival last season. And I know that kind of changed their financial dynamic a little bit, but it goes to show how far we are behind teams that barely stayed up last season to where we are. And it's going to be really tough. It's going to be really difficult. But the one thing we have to do and the one thing that Bilic has to address is the way that we play when we don't have the ball, because at the moment we look absolutely hopeless and we look like a defeat waiting to happen every time we step onto the pitch. Yeah, and I don't want to see a return to the horrible last days of Tony Poulis's reign, not least because it was pretty vile to be in the stadium. There was such a, a poisonous atmosphere. Like you, I think, I'd give Poulis a bit more credit than some fans do. But ultimately, if you play the Tony Poulis way, it's a zero-sum game. You're hoping to finish fourth from bottom, and it's a bit of the end justifies the means. It's a game of football. It's not a war of attrition. And you need to have more excitement and more thrills about your football than than Pooley's ever offered at the Albion. But I don't think, I don't think it has to be like that. It, it, it's become a, it, it, one of these debates where you're one or the other. It, it doesn't have to be that black and white. There are ways of playing where you can actually make yourself a lot more compact and a lot more disciplined and structured but without losing that flair at the top. And Roy Hodgson got that spot. And I'm, I'm using those two as ex-Albion managers, but other managers do it. David Moyes has done it over the years. Mark Hughes, albeit he's out of the game at the moment. Sam Allardyce has managed to combine being a difficult team to beat with introducing flair players into his team, especially at Bolton during the early part of his career as a manager. I'm not suggesting that... We go down the route of, of lumping the ball into the channels and, and having Pereira and Diangana chasing long balls and then using percentages to, to maximise our goal-scoring opportunities. Not at all. But I think there has to be something in the way that we're set up to give us a better chance of keeping a clean sheet if we don't actually score at the other end. Because the moment you keep a clean sheet, you've at least got a point. We don't even look like conceding fewer than two goals at the moment. That's a real problem. No, no. Well, I was agreeing with you. Blimey, you had a rant to me, and I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 was, I was ranting more about the, the TP words that you brought into the conversation, well, yeah. What I would say about both Tony Poulis and, and Roy Hodgson is that they worked on defensive shape, and I think any good team will do that, even if you Liverpool and Manchester City. I use those examples because they're, they're names that people will know. I certainly don't want to return, though, to the, I should just say that, just in case I am deliberately misunderstood by some people, that I don't want to return to the Tony Poulis era in any way, shape or form. We understand that football's got to be about excitement. It's got to be about entertainment. But it's also about winning games of football and setting yourself up in such a way that you give yourself a foundation to win games of football. One thing struck me about Slavon Bilic's tactics today, he'd moved back to the four-man defence which served us last season, which he'd hitherto abandoned this season. 
they'd sussed that Southampton are a very high-pressing team. And they are a good side as well, Southampton. Lots of energy about that. So Albion's response to that was to play out from the back much less often than they normally do. But what it then defaulted to was long balls hit, aiming for, what you know, Callum Robinson. Well, he's, he's, he's got potential as a striker, but he's not that kind of striker. He's not Andy Carroll. And there was something just a bit brainless in that Albion had worked out how Southampton play, but then hadn't worked out really how they would play against it. They they stopped doing the obvious thing of playing out from the back, but as to where next, and, you know, the reality is, you have to say, the game is always played on a on a field between 22 players. What what may look really well thought out on the training ground or in the you know on the on the chalkboard can look very different when human beings have to put it into practice. So I don't want to be unfair on Slavin Bilic, you know, the no, players are still going to the players have still got to execute his plan, but they didn't. And and that thing for me of just You've you've really got to stand up. The number of times our players lost challenges, didn't chase 50-50 balls, that side of the game. If your team loses, I think most Albion fans would accept that against a quality side. But there were bits of today that I found very hard to forgive as a fan. And where I think if you're in the stadium, those are the days, those are the performances where fans get angry and they turn on players and they turn on managers because lack of effort or apparent lack of effort just isn't isn't on. It's not. You just cannot do it. It's, you've got to be up to it all the time. And that's what more limited teams in the Premier League, like Burnley, like Sheffield United, do. They're always at it. And when they're not at it, they get turned over. If we're not at it, we get turned over big time. Yeah, I think the teams you mentioned have also recruited very well, and that's been a problem for me to put the recruitment. We've effectively replaced the players that we lost who are on loan and brought in Gallagher, who hasn't played. We've brought in Ivanovic, who hasn't played. Keeper, who who I don't think we're going to see anytime soon. And we just don't look... The, the, the team needs something extra. It needs a, a bit of a refresh. We just seem to be lacking that little bit of sparkle that we showed in the first half against Chelsea, but it seems like such a long time ago, that game. We desperately need to strengthen the team this week because I think that will define our season. It will either be um, a season where we struggle badly or a season where we struggle but give ourselves a chance. And I know that sounds a little bit downbeat, but I think that's where we are because of the, the way that our budget is and the way that the league is at the moment and where we are. We have to give ourselves the best chance we can in the transfer window. We've, it's going to be very difficult to do that. Key to that is getting rid either temporarily or permanently of players who the club deems surplus to requirements. The players whose names are being mentioned at the moment are players who I would all happily wave away. Zahor, there's talk of him going to maybe Sheffield Wednesday, maybe on a season-long loan. Thank you very much indeed. He scored three goals, didn't he? He was signed for eight million quid, scored three goals, two of which were penalties. And I don't think he featured after January. He certainly didn't start after January. I mean, a signing that I always struggle to understand. Absolutely baffling. And nothing that he did justified the expenditure on him. Utterly weird signing. Charlie Austin, I think, did a sort of halfway decent job 
in the championship, but never, ever looked fit. And that's what the Southampton fans said when he was sent to us. And we thought, we'll, we'll show you. Charlie will get it right. But he didn't really, did he? He, he had a good eye for goals, got a cracker at St Andrews, uh, which I was right behind in the in the railway end. But really, no loss if he goes now. And Kamal Grzycki, who's shown a fantastic turn of pace on occasions, but again, in his short time at the Albion, has, has never delivered. So if we could offload those three and, and bring a bit of money in to, to invest elsewhere, I think that would be good business. We haven't left ourselves long to do it. I mean, I think you explained the transfer window last week that we do have the opportunity to bring in players from the EFL beyond today's transfer window. The problem we have, I mean, let's take the names that have been mentioned, if we can. Dini, Andre Gray and Carlin Grant, the the, the main one that we know Slavin Bilic is very keen on. But they've played basically one minute of action. They've got one minute between them this season. Dini came on as a substitute in one match last month. So are we back at a situation where we have to get another footballer up to speed before we play him? And it's another two or three games before we play them. And and it's a concern because by then we'll be nearly one sixth into the season. And it, it just seems to me that um, we've left this t- till late again. Not for the first time, we've allowed a situation to prevail. And, and one journalist, actually, who I follow on Twitter, kind of summed it up superbly. And he said it's almost as if clubs in the Premier League were trying to starve out the championship clubs and trying to basically make them so desperate to sell that they would sell right at the very end of that EFL window, which is a week later. And I just wonder whether Albion will be one of those teams who, or one of those clubs who exploit that and actually make the most of that because that's how it looks at the moment that we're basically putting ourselves in a position where we make Huddersfield or Watford desperate to deal with us and they have to deal with us because they know that they're sat with an asset of 10, 15, 20 million who isn't doing anything and hasn't actually played a game for them yet this season. Yeah, as you say, the the danger of that is that X number of games go by before yeah. you get your player or up to match fitness. Uh, Colin Grant cost Huddersfield two million pounds in January. It's quite amazing, isn't it? And he's now being touted around at something like eighteen million for Albion. He scored goals for a team who were struggling near the bottom of the Championship. But even though for Albion that's a significant outlay. And the hold-up does seem to be about the way the deal is structured. I suspect we will get him. A little bit like the Connor Gallagher situation, though, you feel that an awful lot of pressure will be placed on one individual to come and transform our fortunes, a player who's completely un- unproven in the Premier League. It, it, it has the feel of rebuilding for a promotion drive if we go down and if we stay up fantastic we can strengthen the way that Aston Villa have probably not to those levels but it will give us an extra year of grace to bring in better players for more money and that's what being in the Premier League is about for a club that starts from a year zero if you like and has to be build itself back up and I know Albion have been in the Premier League for many years previously but actually having been there in there for a couple of years it kind of restored them and defaulted back to a period to when they were in the 2000s if you like where they first went up then and they have to rebuild that model that that structure of progress from scratch and 
it is it is important that you know we have players on board now and and almost certainly every player that we do bring in now will have a a relegation of flexstone clause in their contract so they will be taking a pay cut when or if we go down but hopefully in 12 months time if if we are in that position we have a, a squad that that's ready to mount a challenge to come back up and of course the dynamic in the championship by then might be completely different because we we know and we appreciate that many clubs at that level are going to be hugely damaged by the the current covid restrictions and the ability to bring in money on match days okay then so we've been critical i think it's fair to say of the manager slaven bilic we've been critical of the recruitment we sit here as fans we just hope things will get better because when you have a performance like Alvin did against Southampton, it's only naturally going to look on the dark side. Be a bit pessimistic. There will be other days, though. We know that as fans. Talking of which, let's celebrate perhaps Albion's greatest servant, Tony Brown. He's just marked his 75th birthday. And we were chatting in the week, Chris. There's got to be some argument that Bomber is Albion's greatest ever player. Certainly the greatest ever goal scorer that we've had. Well, he's the only one to have a statue, and and that took a while to surface. So, I, I I can't think of another footballer who scored 279 goals from pre- predominantly playing in a midfield position, and a midfield position when he was into his 30s. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. And I'm I'm not going to pick out other footballers here, but. You have a look at the list of players who have got England caps over the years, some really average footballers, some footballers who you forget about as quickly as have been capped. Bomber Brown had one cap against Wales in 1971. I mean, Adrian, you only have to look at the the, the fact that this guy, he he came in as a youngster, a 17-year-old, 18-year-old, and he, he did brilliantly on his debut. He featured in so many seminal moments of the club's history, FA Cup semi-final goals. Um, he was there at Wembley in 68-70. Scored the gold at one promotion in 76. And a vital part of the team that actually nearly or should have perhaps challenged for the league in 79. Scored against Valencia. And he only won one cap. And, you know, you put it into context. I remember asking, I think it was Ron Atkinson in an interview once, which modern day footballer would you compare Tony Brown to, and I'll put that to you. Who would you compare him to? This was a few years, and this was a few years ago, so that player might have retired now. But of the last 10, 15 years, which player would you say was most like Tony Brown? Mm, that's a really good question, a hard one for you to throw at me. Go on, go on. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what Ron Atkinson, Ron Atkinson said, Frank Lampard. And he's absolutely right. But he scored more times than Frank Lampard. He played for longer in his career than Frank Lampard in arguably harder times because he was playing on terrible pitches. He he, he wasn't surrounded by world-class players in the way that Frank Lampard was. Certainly during the early 70s when Albu in the second division, they, they were struggling to rebuild following the cup win. And he's such a remarkable footballer when you think of his record. And, and what he achieved for West Brom and without the recognition outside the area, which is so sad. But I got to know Tony really well when I was on the mail and, and subsequently at the club. And I used to travel to 
to games with him, away games, probably eight, eight, nine times out of ten, maybe. And it was an utter privilege to travel to games with him. He was always, it was like stepping into a book of anecdotes and, and stories, and it was just phenomenal. He's not only probably one of our greatest, if not our greatest ever player, but he's a lovely, lovely guy as well. Yeah, played an astonishing number of games for Albion, 720 appearances and scored 218 goals. Most of those were in the top flight as well. As you say, there were three seasons under Don Howe when Albion were in what would now be the championship in Division 2. But other than that, all of his career at the Albion was top flight. League Cup win, FA Cup final victory... And that day at Oldham, which was my first big Albion away match in which he scored the winner to send us up. And we hadn't quite fallen away to the extent that we had when Gary Megson took us over. But when Johnny Giles took over, Albion were in a pretty sorry state. My first season, 75-76, gates of under 10,000 in the first half of that season were common at the Hawthorns. I watched Albion play York and Plymouth with gates of under or around 10,000. By the end of the season, we were taking 10,000 away to Oldham and Bomber, that little flick up, then the fierce volley, a brilliant goal. So, I mean, that's a very particular memory as a fan that I have of him. And he clearly knows the game inside out and, and he's well regarded by everybody. Proper legend. He shouldn't even have been in that game against Oldham. He, he was almost sold the previous summer to Crystal Palace. And by and by that, I mean, everything was agreed. And then all of a sudden, the Albion directors blocked the move. Now, the reason they blocked the move is that several weeks later, they sacked Don Howe. And their view was that they would rather keep Tony Brown than keep the manager. And, and the rest, as they say, is history because he went on to have an absolutely phenomenal couple of years and well, a few years under John Giles and Ron Atkinson subsequently. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this actually on his birthday when, when I was chatting to somebody and, you know, you mentioned the 720 games. He was also coach briefly under uh, John Giles in the mid eighties. And now we know him, know him as the commentator for BRMB initially and now WM. He must have worked on approximately 2,000 games in, in some guise or another of West Brom. And, and that's phenomenal, you know, and that statue is well deserved. And a smaller side there, I, I actually, that 5-1 victory at Molyneux, you know, I lay that down at the feet of Bomber Brown. Go on. And I'll tell you why, that, that period. Now, Bomber Brown, right, every match he brings a flask of soup. and. Right. And Mrs. Brown sends him packing to Norwich, Newcastle, wherever it is, with a flask of soup. And I kept saying to him, Bomber, you've got to try this soup, right? But by my Polish background, we feast on beetroot soup. Now, I hate beetroot, but I love the soup. It's incredible. Yeah. It's called bagsh. And um, I said to him, I said, you've got to try this. He said, I'll tell you what, you bring me, bring me um, some beetroot soup. I will try it. And I, I got a lift into Molyneux that day with a colleague and we parked in some really dodgy area of Wolverhampton. And yes, I, I know the obvious punchline to that. <laughs> no, no, we're not, we're not going to sink that low, are we? <laughs> 
we're not we're not we're not going to go that low. And um, and I, as I walk, as we walked to Molyneux, we walked past the Polish deli, and I walked in. I thought, right, I'm going to get Bomber this beetroot soup because I've been banging on about it. He keeps telling me where is it, where when are you bringing it? So I bought him this packet of beetroot soup, and I said, right, Bomber, if we win today, uh, well, not only must you try this, but if you like it. I will bring you beetroot soup every single week. I will ask my mom to produce a flask of, of beetroot soup for you from now on. And of course, lo and behold, we won five one. <laughs> which no pressure there, but I, I, I thought, Christ, if he, if he likes, if he does like this, I'm going to go go to uh, Mrs. Lepkowska, my mom, and tell her, well, you know that soup you made, or, or that soup that I told you about. I've got to deliver it every Saturday to this guy who've never, you've never met, but trust me, he's a decent fella. And, and thankfully, he came in the following week. We played Sunderland and um, we won four 0 I think. And he said, "Enough," <laughs> because you see, people like Bomber don't swear, but he does swear when he when you're with him. And he said, "Oh yeah, that soup you gave me, God, <laughs> God, disgusting." Said I won't be I won't be eating that enough breather so early. I thought, thank God for that. I haven't had to haven't got to have that awkward chat with my mum about bringing it in every match. So, but seriously, Adrian, travelling to him every week was a privilege and. You used to hope that um, I used to travel with Bomber and, and Dave Bowler generally, and you used to look at the fixture list thinking, right, when is Newcastle away? When is Norwich away? Fantastic, because I'll tell you what, I'm going to have three and a half, four hours in a car with Bomber listening to him, and you get in the car and you just sat there and you just listened and listened. And we had a general rule. We would never, ever discuss anything outside of yes. that, those four doors of the car. We would never, ever tell any of those stories and the stuff I, I, I used to hear and it was just incredible and and you think what an absolute privilege this is to be sat here listening to this guy and and you know I, I spent so many years covering Albion for the mail that was one of the best aspects of it it wasn't just collecting a pay packet for writing about a football club or being a football writer it was actually spending for eight hours a day sometimes on a Saturday in Newcastle there and back with Bomber. And there was another there was another incident where, I don't know if you remember this, when we played Newcastle and Dean Walton, a massive Albion fan, had designed these masks that were being worn in honour of Bomber Brown on the final day of the season at Newcastle in 2011. Was this the 3-3 draw? Is this when Simon Choi scored a hat-trick? That's it, yeah. The final yeah. game. Simon Choi. Yeah. Simon Choi hat-trick, indeed. And... and Bomber was basically being lauded that day. And he, he kind of, he, he's a bit uneasy about stuff like that. You know, he's like, oh God, you know, okay, I'll go along with it. But, you know, he can always, he's very modest. And we're travelling up and um, I'm sat in the back and Bomber Brown's in the passenger seat. And we overtake this car. And all of a sudden, these four passengers in this other car turn round and they're all wearing the Bomber Brown mask, staring back at Tony Brown. And he just went, oh my God, is this what I've got to put up with for the rest of today? Sure enough, he got to Newcastle and there were about 3,000 Albion fans all staring back at him with Bomber Brown masks. But he, he, you know what, I think he absolutely loved that. I think a part of him was a little bit like, oh, why me? What, why, why am I getting this? But he absolutely loved it that day. He, he was so proud and humbled by it. And he is a super guy. And I hope that he hadn't had a brilliant birthday. He deserves that because he is a super bloke. 
Well, listen, just some little highlights of his career that you might not know, and I only know by sort of reading up on it. He was the first player to score in every round of the League Cup. This was before the League Cup was at Wembley when we beat West Ham over two legs. We beat them 4-1 in the second leg to win it. Bomber, first player to score in every round. That enabled Albion to get into what was then called the Intercity's Fair Cup, the forerunner of the UEFA Cup. First Albion player to score a hat-trick in Europe. Of course, he played in that famous Manchester United game, the 5-3. And, of course, the magnificent achievements of the three degrees fully deserved. But I think, unintentionally, that perhaps overshadowed Bomber's role in that team. He was a fantastic player in Albion's greatest team of my viewing lifetime. Every bit as important in his way as Cyril and Laurie and Brendan. Just a a superb footballer. Absolutely. And he was a great player in two teams and not very many Albion players can can cite that. In fact, I'm struggling to think of a single Albion footballer who straddled two such great eras. I don't think we've had one, certainly not post-war. You've just reeled off a, a list of historical facts that some of which I, I hadn't realised or forgotten about and it just goes to show really how how much we should value people like that they are they are you know our royalty really yeah well he's already got the uh, freedom of the borough of Sandwell he can drive, his, drive his drive his sheep over the high street in West Brom any day he wants bomber we salute you sir happy birthday happy 75th uh, before we go Chris yeah um Last week's trivia question. Remind us what it was, because I think I knew the answer to that one. Go on. Of course, we played Southampton this weekend, and which one-time Southampton footballer um, had a successful trial at Albion in the past? Was it Bruce Grobbelar? It was indeed. Now I said successful, hey! and, I, and, I, and I said it was a successful trialist uh, trial because actually Albion did want to sign him, but they couldn't. Because at that point, Bruce Grobbler hadn't realised he had Scottish ancestor, so he couldn't qualify for a work permit. And then he went to Crewe and subsequently found out that he did have a relative in Edinburgh, so he was able to join Liverpool. And um, as I said earlier, the rest is history. Brilliant. OK, so I'm chuffed now. I've got one. Um, what's, what's this week? What's the, So uh, next week, by the way, we'll be chuntering about the transfer deadline because it's the international break. So we'll be reviewing and assessing the players we've bought or more probably the players that we haven't bought, who we've sold or more probably who we haven't been able to ship out. But go on then. What's, what's your question this week? Next trivia question, Adrian. We beat Burnley 4-0 in November 2016. Who were the four scorers in that match? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll try and get my head around that. We've had we've had some rich pickings against Burnley over the years. We'll see. All right, mate. Well, listen. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, I finished from Bizarre Glow to Ballis, by the way. Fantastic book. Recommended to any Albion fan who remembers that period, or any Albion fan too young to remember that period and wants to know what footballing hard times really feel like. But it's a cracking book. Anyway, see you next week. Uh, Thanks again, Chris. See you soon. Take care.